Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. social media, you know that tomorrow night we have prayer here at the church from 7.30 to 8.30. Family game night, Friday night, Good Friday that is, starting at 7.30 in the back. We usually go to 10 or we flirt with that a little bit sometimes going after. Amen. This coming Sunday is Easter Sunday, a.m. service only. And then the Sunday following that, the 28th of April, the Batsons will be with us. Amen. In both the morning and the evening services, you don't want to miss that. And we're looking forward to their ministry here at the church. And then Sunday afternoon of April the 28th is a connect meeting in the back at 5 p.m. for those who uh, volunteer on every level uh, here at the church. Also, just be advised, uh, if you didn't already do it, registration is open for camp. It seems to be working. Amen. Well, so not registered and you have plans on going, amen, uh, you need to make reservations for that. Hallelujah. Amen. We also got all kinds of dates throughout the year uh, of different special speakers and such coming. If you still have your little slip of paper uh, in your Bible or on your refrigerator, you can add one at the very end of the year. See, someone canceled on me in March, so I had to add somebody at the end. And so, uh, um, Brother Mike Wilson, he and his wife are actually going to be doing uh, the Indiana District uh, Christmas banquet as far as playing and stuff uh, during that and so I uh, Sister McGee of course is over that so we made arrangements just to bring him home with us whenever we get done up there he's going to come home with us they're going to come home with us and be with us on December the 8th in both services so that's uh, Brother Mike Wilson he's been here before singer, songwriter, preacher uh, great great uh, elderly couple amen the Lord uses Amen. As they travel all across the United States and do this, just as baffling too. Amen. Their uh, their years, they keep that road hot, and uh, so we're thankful. Amen for them. First Peter chapter number five. We are finishing up this tonight. We're finishing this up tonight. We're doing the completion of chapter five. As with the last chapter of many uh, epistles, some of the last few verses are kind of just uh, howdy doodies and peace be with you, good, you know, and all that stuff. So. Confident that we can finish this chapter, uh, this book up tonight. However, we will not be going directly into Second Peter. Second uh, Peter only has three chapters, but it'll take me more than three weeks to get through it. And I only got four weeks before Sister McGee and I go back to back with two prisons, where we're going to be gone for about. Uh, I'll be missing a few services, and so I, I don't want to get in it and then be gone for several, and then you know I spend a half hour get everybody back where we were. And, so, uh, well, I got something in my mind maybe for the next four weeks that I can do uh, that isn't necessarily a second Peter. Amen. First Peter chapter number five. I'm going to start with verse number one. That's a good place to start, right? Amen. The Bible says, the elders which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. His plea then, his admonition is this in verse 2. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, 
but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. For our last lesson here in the book of First Peter, this is part number 11. And amazingly, I looked over my calendar. We haven't had to skip any Wednesdays. This has been 11 weeks straight of First Peter. We haven't, we haven't had to ever skip anything. And so uh, for this final lesson tonight, I want to talk to you. Lead by example. Lead by example. Before I pray tonight, also just enter my mind. I know that we typically have these back few pews roped off, and that was for the purpose of shoving everybody this way and keeping everybody together in our worship. On Easter, those will be removed because we're probably going to have some guests, but my plea to you is to still save those as though they're roped off for the guest, all right? Uh, and they will be back on there after that is said and done. As a matter of fact, I might remove, I might remove those that are roped off because we're going to have the carpets stretched. We might already remove those uh, Sunday after we get in church and have part of our job already done. And uh, we can have church here Wednesday without them because uh, I see empty spaces up in here and over here. So uh, we can have church without them. And uh, that way we won't have to break our backs just in one, in one setting. We can do it twice. Won't that be awesome? Amen. Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight. I'm thankful, Lord, for your love and your mercy. Oh, God, we pray, Jesus, this evening, let your word, God, find its lodging place, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds. God, as we close this out tonight, I pray, Lord God, that there would be instruction, Lord Jesus, from your word, God, for us. I pray, oh, Lord, help us, Lord Jesus, in this endeavor. I pray, oh, Lord God, tonight, Jesus, your word is true. God, let God be true, your word says. And every man, Lord Jesus, a liar. God, we must, Lord, depend upon your word. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated this evening in Jesus' name. The last chapter. Last chapter here. Peter is closing his letter. Closing his letter to the letter that began addressing the strangers the pilgrims, as it were, that were scattered throughout the different cities that were mentioned in chapter number one of Asia Minor. And it may appear that at first, as I read those first four verses to you, Brother McGee, I mean, where is Peter? Is he over in left field? How in the world does this tie into everything that he's been talking about, you know, suffering and, and uh, keeping your mind and your focal point where it needs to be whenever the voices of the world are... are coming against you or being reproachful towards you with slander and so on and so forth because you live a different life. But Peter knows exactly what he is doing in his writing. Because if you will remember uh, in our last chapter, he conveyed to us something that judgment must first begin at the house of God. And so he goes to the leaders of the house. He goes to the leaders of the house of God with no doubt that, that, that phrase in mind, that, that judgment begins at the house of God. And so as Peter begins to address here, he says elders. Whenever he is addressing the elders, he's not necessarily talking about people that's gray-headed. He's not necessarily talking about people that are in the sense of being aged people, although they could be, but that, that wasn't necessarily his focal point. He's talking to elders. As a matter of fact, we learned that 
Peter himself is an elder. He, he's speaking to his peers. He's speaking, if you will, to spiritual leadership. He's speaking to spiritual leadership. And the purpose why he is speaking to them is quite clear. It's because during these times of Christianity that we have moments of suffering in this life, during times of suffering, one thing is for sure, and Peter understands it, that church churches, the church that he was even speaking to, maybe in these various areas, they all need some hands-on spiritual leadership among them during times of suffering, during times of agony. We know that leadership, amen, as far as it goes, should never abandon, quote-unquote, the flock, but they certainly shouldn't be absent during the vulnerable moments of suffering that the church goes through. And so Peter, as he starts in this chapter, he is establishing some equal footing with these other spiritual leaders that he is addressing. He attests once again, as he has done several times throughout this book, that he has been a witness of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in a literal means, seeing the things that the Lord suffered on his way to crucifix and in the garden, and how people laid words of accusations and things upon him and his earthly ministry, but that he also witnessed the suffering of the Lord in that he has in his own life and body went through some suffering, some hard times, difficulties, having been made fun of, accused, and slandered. So he has witnessed, if you will, some of the suffering firsthand himself. So he's just letting them know we have some equal footing among us. Your spiritual leaders, and I guess one good way to say it is spiritual leadership doesn't exempt you from going through the suffering that the whole body goes through doesn't exempt you from uh, having your place and role of being a saint as well. And so Peter then could con confidently say, he says, and I am a partaker of then the glory that is to be revealed. Because again, Peter understands the principle of suffering. And that is suffering leads to glory or suffering precedes glory. And so where it seems like throughout the book of 1 Peter, he's been addressing all the saints of God and all those that he was speaking to in the different cities. Now he has honed in his focus. He's honed in his focus on the leadership of these various cities and churches. And so verses 2 and 3 are Peter's plea to the elders. Peter's plea to the spiritual leaders of being leaders during times of suffering, during times of slander, being in times of this. And this is what he says. And I don't know if we have this up there tonight, if Brother Zach was able to get it. But 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2, I want to read in the Amplified Bible. And I think they have supplied that for me here this evening. The Amplified says it like this. Speaking to these leaders, tend, nurture, guard, guide, and fold the flock of God. That is your responsibility. Not by coercion or constraint, but willingly. Not dishonorably motivated by the advantages and profits belonging to the office, but eagerly and cheerfully. And so Peter's plea to these spiritual leaders was this. Elders, he says, you need to both feed the flock of God and you need to take oversight of the flock of God. As a matter of fact, during these hours that they are going through of suffering, he says, you leaders need to, if I can borrow from the Amplified, you need to feed them and guard them and guide them 
and watch over, if you will, the saints of the Lord. Because here's the reason, folks. Listen to me. If there is ever going to be a time when a saint wants to check out, it's going to be during times of suffering. And he says, so as spiritual leaders, he says, feed them then for sure. And watch over them then for sure. And for sure help guide and guard them during those moments for sure. Because there is no... No more of a vulnerable moment in their life than the moment they, they are going through suffering. So he's talking to the leaders. Leaders, you got to be on point. You got to feed the flock of God and you got to have oversight of them. And so Peter wants the elders. He's telling them, he said, take the responsibility, take the oversight of the flock. He says, but not because, not because you feel forced to do it, but because you willingly do it. Not, not, not because you're doing it for profit or you're doing it for money or you're doing it for recognition, but because you're doing it because of the eagerness to do this thing and you're doing it as a work unto the Lord. Now, uh, remember just for one moment that it is important to remember that the flock that we are feeding, uh, any, any leaders in this house, we got people that show up on Sundays every once in a while, amen, uh, leaders in this house, uh, spiritual leadership. It's important to remember that the flock that we are feeding and overseeing doesn't belong to us. Doesn't belong to us. It's God's flock. Amen. It's God's flock. If we keep that in perspective, it will help us as leaders in our relationship to the flock. Because it's not my flock. It's not my flock. It's God's flock. The Jerusalem Bible says it like this. Watch over it, not simply as a duty, but gladly. Because God wants it. And that's his flock. Amen. So it's not, it's not some overpowering, you know, duty chain and ball that's tethered to my leg and to my arms. Amen. Because God wants it. It's his. But I will admit to you there are times our view gets skewed. There are times that our view gets skewed. We view our leadership role as a job rather than a ministry that's unto the Lord. Oh, Brother McGee, let me tell you, I have done it as a pastor. There have been times along the way, or evangelism, times along the way where the view gets skewed and you see your role sometimes more as a job rather than a ministry to serve the Lord. Amen. Not remembering that that's, his flock that's his flock because what happens is this our get to attitude is overshadowed by our have to feelings or got to feelings what i'm saying is this it's very easy to get in that ebb and flow then of getting to a place personally because remember it's not just the saints that are suffering you as a leader are suffering too it's not just the saints going through stuff, but you as a leader are going through stuff too. And so you're trying to hold up your hand and hold up your hands as well. You're trying to hold theirs up and yours up. And so sometimes it's so taxing that we'll get ourselves in a mode we forget that it's God's flock. We forget that it's God's people. And as a result of it, we enter into places of spiritual leadership with, I got to teach. I got to teach that class. I got to prepare for that lesson I got to preach Sunday night I got to prepare for that activity you can put it in any avenue of the church I, I got to go to outreach I got to clean those windows I mean it just is over everything I just I got to do I got to do amen whatever it may be but we got to understand those are God's sheep 
That's God's family. And in reality, we must understand that it is a privilege. It is a privilege. If someone, and some people might not count this a privilege, but if someone was to relinquish into your care managing a million-dollar account that they had, that's a privilege. That's a privilege. God given us oversight and spiritual leadership, amen, over the saints of God. That's a privilege. It's not the got to thing, but it's I get to. I'm honored to because this is a work that I'm doing unto the Lord. We've been entrusted with God's flock for that matter. He's entrusted them to us during a very critical time. Because all along this life's journey upon earth, they are going to have suffering. And when I say that, what I mean is this. They are going to be battling with their identity in this world of whether or not to revert back to who they once was or continue with who they are. And so we have a great privilege of walking alongside them during that time and guarding and feeding and guiding and having oversight, amen, for their welfare. Ultimately, that whenever this thing is said and done, they're still God's flock. <laughs> whenever it's said and done, they are still counted as his. The Living Bible says it like this, feed the flock, care for it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you're eager to serve the Lord. So Peter is concerned about the leaders here in the first four, first four verses. He's concerned about the leaders because he didn't want them to only care about God's flock because they felt forced to. He wanted it to be a desire and an understood privilege that they had. Otherwise, also, he didn't want them to only care about God's flock because they felt like they were going to be profited. That's what he said. I know it's quite plain there, but he says don't do it for what you will get out of it. In the Living Bible, amen, don't do it for what you get out of it. Don't, don't do it because what's going to profit you or what's going to come to you. Uh, in modern day lingo, even in the church world, don't do it because of you're going to be compensated for it. Don't do it because of the perk that comes along with it. Amen, you want to do it because that's God's flock. You want to do it because those are, those are His. Amen. Someone say amen. In other words, Peter's saying you don't need to have the attitude, I'm good. I'm all good as long as this robe gets me more attention, more compensation, more accolades. If it will get me more than what it requires of me, then I'm good. Peter says, no, 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 you misunderstood it all. He says, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, God's entrusted you during these times when people are worn with the identity of who they are. He says, you need to do it. Amen, because it's just God's flock and it's just the right thing to do and you have been called to such a place to serve in that capacity. And so leadership in times of suffering is important. Leadership while we walk upon this earth is important because... Suffering is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. It's something that Peter said that we have been called to. Suffering is going to happen. Amen. But leading in the church during our earthly lives is then going to be leadership during suffering. Because as long as we live, it's through great tribulations that we enter, a great testing, through great suffering that we enter into the kingdom of God. But here is the great difficulty I already alluded to tonight, and that is this. You, spiritual leaders, must lead others through their suffering while you're walking through your suffering. That is a major struggle. Because it's hard 
to make it through on your own. Let alone at times feel like you have a handicapped leg trying to help somebody else with one. Because I would love to say that there is no variance and there is no oscillating and there is no swaying but in each and every one of our lives from top to bottom hierarchy at the top to the bottom there's always times when we are struggling in our suffering and there are doubts and there are times that you are hotter for God than you are other times there's times you're more committed to him than you are at other times there's times you're more dedicated to him than at other times I'm talking about spiritual leadership There's times that all of us are hotter. And so the difficulty lies in the fact whenever I'm not hot and I'm trying to help somebody else along the way that's in doubtful disputations. Amen. Peter says, he says, we're dependent on you, he said. We we don't want this to be the got-to attitude. We don't want it to be what does it benefit me attitude. He says, we want to remember that this is the flock of God and the privilege that he has extended to us. And so we gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta thank God and the church family should. You should thank God for your spiritual leaders because Peter told us in the second chapter that whenever he found us that we were all like sheep that had gone astray. Thank God for spiritual leadership that's going to help guide, help feed the flock, if you will, of God. Amen? Verse 3, 1 Peter 5 and verse 3, the Amplified Bible. I, I, refer, the, I just The Amplified just talked good. Amen to me here this week. I like the verbiage, and, and since it relies heavily upon uh, the the. the defining of the Greek and such in its in, in translation. It's just good. Look at verse number three. This is Peter still talking to the elders, still talking to the, the spiritual leaders. He says, so, so you're, number one, you're not to do it as, as though you have to, not, not grudgingly, not by constraint, not by force, but willingly. Number two, you're, you're not to do it as though for the purpose of receiving co- compensation or whatever you can profit. It's not something you do to see what you can get out of it. That's that's not the attitude. Then he tells us in verse number three, not domineering as arrogant, dictatorial, or overbearing persons over those in your charge, but being examples, patterns, and models of Christian living to the flock, the congregation. And so Peter kind of hones in here in verse number three. He narrows down once again how These spiritual leaders were to serve, not as lords or not demanding figures, but he says in samples or examples to who they are leading. Simply put, for my subject matter tonight, they were to lead by example. They were to lead by example. And I believe the Amplified there in verse 3 states it really well. Let me tell you what it states it for me. This relieves... This relieves, as I looked at this week and studied this somewhat this week, this relieves a lot of pressure from me and all the leaders overall because I don't have to dominate the flock. I don't have to dominate the flock. Number one, remember, it's God's flock. I don't have to dominate, I don't have to dominate the flock. What I've been called to do is model the expectation that I have that the flock should behave as because that's what God expects. I don't have to dominate the flock. 
I just got to live the life that God has prescribed that he wants everybody to live. I got to live that life before them. I got to model that in Christian living. What are you saying, Brother McGee? Let me, let me, can I, let me give you a view into my life just for a moment. I find myself, have you ever dominated the flock, Brother McGee? Perhaps. Perhaps. Have you ever been an uh, overbearing person, Brother McGee? Perhaps. Perhaps. I find myself, Brother Mason, domineering the flock when the flock, person or group, is disobedient to the Word of God and its standards. Just walk with me. It's when the flock or a individual is disobedient to the Word that I've been preaching every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. When that happens... Something just comes over me. Not going to excuse it. But in my mind, I want to go then, right there, right now, and say, you're wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're not doing it right. Listen here. Straighten up the straight and narrow here. Get on. You know why? Listen to me. Listen to me. You know why? Because whenever the disobedience happens, and it's not against me. It's against his word. It's not against me. It's against God. But since I'm the man of God or the spiritual leader, you know what happens, Brother Mason? You probably know it before I say it. I take it personally. Bless God they did that. Don't they know God's word says such and such? But since I've been a propagator of the word, then I take it personally. And it's as though, Brother Terry, then that I feel that they've done something against me. Which in reality, it's not my flock. It's God's flock. They didn't really do it against me. It's as David came to the understanding whenever he sinned with Bathsheba, he said, against thee only have I sinned. They done it against God. Son, I don't have to become domineering. I don't have to become overbearing. Say, listen here, Alex, what you did was wrong. You need to, you need to buff up. So on, you need to chet, 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 chet and all that. No. I just need to walk the example before him. That's God's flock. And if he wants to do it against God, that's a matter he's going to have to take up with God. Yeah, because that takes a lot of pressure off me, Brother Terry. Because whenever the, this time and this day is over, over, God's going to say, McGee, did you model it before them? Yes, Lord. Amen. Did you preach it? Yes, Lord. Did they obey it? God, that's your flock. I'm just serious tonight. God, that's your flock. Have a conversation with them about that, God. Someone say amen. Uh, see, because what happens, I know my personality, I'm second on that guardian voice. And so whenever I see rule or regulation being bent, son, there's something that rises up and say, hey, stay off the grass. <laughs> I can't stand to see people do exactly something different than what rules and regulations say. It, it, oh, someone walking across the grass, for instance, that has signs right out there, whatever, don't walk across the grass, just sprayed. You understand what I'm saying? That just, and that probably just totally puzzles my mom and dad because I went against everything they said <laughs> as a kid. But now, it's, it's now my cross to bear. That whenever I see something 
not according to policy, not according to regulation, not according to what's clearly spelled out, I'm like, hey, I want to become domineering. I want to become overbearing. God says as a spiritual leader, he says, you don't have to, you don't, don't be doing that. He said, walk the example before him. Now, listen to me. Listen, I'll get there in a minute because I'm going to have some people think, well, Brother McGee, you need to get a little lighter in the pulpit. You've missed the boat. Whenever It's not speaking about don't preach truth. Because whenever I convey this, this isn't mine. You hear me? Amen. The Bible in Exodus 16 and verse number 2, the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron are the leaders of the nation of Israel. Amen. They're the leaders of the nation of Israel. Moses and Aaron was taking them, helping deliver them out of Egypt according to God's word. This was God's plan. This is what God wanted. And so they are doing this according to the word of God. And so Moses and Aaron, verse, 16, verse 2 of Exodus 16, the Bible says, here they are, they've already made their exit, amen, into the wilderness from Egypt. The Bible says, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. What were they saying? Why have you taken us into this wilderness? We could have died in Egypt. We don't have the food like we did in Egypt. They're saying all this. But Moses and Aaron just did exactly what God asked of them to do. Yet the people are murmuring against Moses and Aaron. But the light bulb went off. Moses and Aaron, honey, he could, man, they could have got out their sword and everything else said, honey, let's start with the tribe of Benjamin and go to Judah and let's just start killing you know, let's be domineering. Let's be overbearing. But no, the Bible says in verse number eight, and Moses said, and this shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and the morning bread to full. For the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against, look what he says, against him. And what are we? Speaking of Moses and Aaron, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. You know what Moses is saying? He says, y'all ain't my flock. <laughs> y'all not my flock. He said, you're God's flock. Has he asked me to feed you? Yes, and I have. Has he asked me to guide you? Yes, and I have. Has he asked me to guard you? Yes. Have he asked me to have oversight? I've done all that. But beyond that, I just got to live the example before you in alignment with what I've taught. And it's all up to them then to be in accordance with that. That's your flock. And so if they have any complaint, if they have any, you know, thing that's kind of off kilter, that's your flock. Oh, I wish I had a room full of pastors. I'd be helping somebody right here tonight. The apostle Paul, Paul, mind you, not Peter, but Paul, he was an elder, he was an overseer in Acts chapter number 20, and he even gathered the elders from Ephesus together. Again, elders, he's talking about spiritual leaders that he met before he departed and they was going to see his face no more because he was headed to Jerusalem. He didn't know what he would suffer there and there's been a lot of people coming to him along the way. You're going to suffer some horrible things at Jerusalem. And so he's departing, maybe never to see their face again. And so the apostle Paul, as an overseer, speaking to overseers, as an elder, speaking to elders, a spiritual leader, speaking to spiritual leaders, told them, he said, I failed not to deliver the whole counsel of God unto you. I did not shun from telling you the whole counsel of God. Amen. And what that meant, he was telling them what was right, what was wrong, what was uncomfortable for some of them to hear. Uh-huh. But that didn't mean he was being domineering because he was given the message that was the message of the Lord to God's flock. He was giving God's word to God's flock. Someone say Amen. And then in verse 31, the Bible says that he even warned them. And the warnings of the apostle Paul were this. He told them 
whenever I depart, he said, grievous wolves, he says, are going to come in and they are going to attempt to overtake you. You know what that sounds like? The suffering of any age. Huh? They're going to try to mess with who you say you are. They're going to flirt and make you have self-doubt concerning your identity. He's sounding the alarm. Hey! Hey! And the Bible says that he even said that some would come among them and speak perverse things. To what? To draw them away. Draw them away from what? Truth. Draw them away from what? Their newfound identity in Jesus Christ. To what? To do what? To revert back to who they were. To conform back to the society that they had left. But Paul's an apostle. Amen. said, I warned them. I preached to them. I guided them. I did all this. Was he being overbearing? No. He was using the word of God. But once he's guided, once he's instructed, once all that's taken place, I don't have to get on them and ride them like a horse because when it's all said and done, they're God's flock. I just got to live it before him. And so when you stand before the Lord, the question you might have to answer is this. Did your spiritual leader walk it before you? Woo! You're God's flock. So they're going to have to know it by the guidance, the oversight, the guarding, the teaching, and the walking. Huh? The activity. And so if they are off kelter, that's God's flock. He's going to want to know, well, if you had the preaching, if you had all that, did you have a lifestyle to match the message? And so then you're going to be able to tattletale on me or whoever else in here is spiritual leaders, Brother Mason or the Malones. And you're going to say, did they walk the walk? Huh? Is everybody doing all right? <laughs> he's, going to, he's going to bring all these up here now. Now, now, now did, did they walk the walk? Now, God, these are your, your people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but did you preach it? Did you guide it? Because I said, elders, this is what I need from you. I need you to guide. The, I, need you to, I need you to feed the flock. And I need you to have oversight of the flock. I don't need you to do it grudgingly like though you're forced to do it. I don't need you to do it for something that you're just in it for what you get out of it. And I need you not to be domineering. Amen. Overall, I need you to walk it. He told him, I need you to lead by example, Clowney said it like this. He said, under shepherds, which that's what spiritual leaders are. There's a chief shepherd. That's Jesus Christ. Under shepherds present, present rather the word of God, not their own decree. That's true. And they enforce the revealed will of the Lord, not their own wishes. That's true. Now, there's things around here we say, this is, this is the word of God. This is what we have. And then there's other things like we have platform standards that have great backing from the word of God. But there's some that may not have no backing, but it's a preference of the leadership of this church. Okay? It's just a preference of the leadership of this church. And, you know, you can take that or leave it, participate with it or don't. But uh, that just is what it is. There are certain things that we have felt like that as God is to where we are, and we just safeguard those as a result of that. That doesn't mean necessarily you're going to hell if, if, if you don't practice them. It just means you're not going to be on a platform if you don't. <laughs> is everybody all right? So he says, and with that being said, let me say this. <laughs> everybody smile at me. Spiritual leaders lording over you what is right or being domineering, that whole aspect of lording it over people, 
is quite different, listen, than us then enforcing a policy that you have agreed to. Do I need to say that again? Uh, Let me state it differently. Us enforcing a policy that you have agreed to isn't the same as us then being overbearing and lording over you. Because we all entered into that agreement with our eyes wide open. Amen? All right. The message Bible says that like this. Not bossily telling others what to do, but tenderly showing them the way. Now, I'll bossily tell you through the word when I preach. It doesn't mean after service I've got to just get on you and continue going. I'm just going to live the life before you because you're God's flock. I do not say that condescendingly. I hope everybody understands me now. I do not say that condescendingly, but it's very easy to get wrapped up. These are my people. This is a, man, this is a reflection. And it is to a certain degree, but when it comes down to the roots of it all, it's God's heritage, he later says. It's God's flock. It's his. And so the flock of God is answerable to God. I'll be answerable to my stewardship over what he has given to me. <laughs> if God would go bankrupt, they're not coming looking for me. Unless I embezzled money. You know what I'm saying? They're not coming looking for me. They're looking for God because that's God's. You hear what I'm saying? I was just a steward. Amen. Everybody say yes. And so after you feed them, after you guide them, this is Peter now. He's still talking to us. Because these are times in which people are in identity crises of whether they're going to live for God or not. So after you feed them, after you guide them, after you guard them, Through the preaching of the word, he tells us basically live the life, spiritual leaders. This is something years ago, uh, I don't remember where I was sitting or what what type of uh, seminar or such I was sitting in, but I'll remember very plainly. I think Brother Osborne was speaking and he brought forth this verse and he shared it. And it gives great credence to this verse and the meaning of it, of James 3 and 1. He says, my brethren, be not many masters or many teachers, many spiritual leaders, be not many. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation from two areas. Number one, from the saints. Number two, from the Lord. Why? Because as a spiritual leader, you have certain responsibilities. What? The feeding, the guiding, the guarding, the oversight, the walking before them. And so he says, if you're going to be a teacher, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, then you got to receive a greater condemnation. You are held to a higher level of expectation by those you serve and by the Lord. Because it's just not me and my pony going. It's me and my whole clan here that he's made us stewards over. And so that means in super churches, they're back there functioning. They're responsible for however many kids they have back there from Sunday to Sunday. To feed, to guide, to guard, to oversight, and to walk the example before them. And there will be held to a certain level of responsibility even from the Lord because of the capacity that they serve in. But it may still be responsible for those Sunday afternoons of leadership meeting with those 13 or so people in the room. The Malone's going to be responsible for those five, whether it be five or 50, it matters not. Going to be responsible for them for the guiding and the teaching and the guarding and the oversight and the living the example before them. Amen. Peter says, elders, spiritual leaders, you said, way in here. He said, because I understand where you are. I understand you're leading others. 
that are going through similar and same sufferings that you are going through. He says, but we got to to the best of our ability, and sometimes it's better than others. I'll grant you that. We must, to the best of our ability, example a proper response to our times of suffering. And here is the promise, though. He said, you spiritual leaders, elders, if you will serve in this leadership capacity appropriately, he says in verse number four, when the chief shepherd, the one whose flock that belongs to, when the chief shepherd returns, he says, you'll receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And that was something they could identify in because any competition they had in that day, they had a crown, but it's usually of leaves or flowers, something that sooner or later was going to fade and deteriorate. He says, but you'll receive a crown from the chief shepherd, uh, the one that's made you a steward over those people that fadeth not away. It's a crown unlike any other crown that you have known. Going on with verse number five, amen. First Peter five and verse number five, Peter does a turn on us here. Likewise, ye younger, and he's not talking about age here. Submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So Peter switches here. He's went from addressing the spiritual leaders, and now he's turned to address those that the spiritual leaders are over. He's talking about those that are under the tutelage and the mentoring of the spiritual leaders. And so he goes back to them. He switches. Amen. The spiritual leaders, your obligation is to the flock. All right? Your obligation is to the flock. Amen. But these younger or these that are under uh, the teaching and the instruction of the spiritual leaders, he says your submission is to the spiritual leader. Your submission is to the elder. Amen. So what happens is this. The spiritual leader is subject to the flock in their service. But then what Peter is calling the younger must submit to the spiritual leader in their obedience. You get that? Amen. Look what, look, whenever you see these two words, and we've seen these a lot in First Peter, submit and subject. Uh, in the Greek, they are the same word. They, they, they have nothing to do, uh, per se, again, with age. Uh, it has to do with noting rank. It has to do with almost, if you would think of a military hierarchy, you know, captain and private. And it has to do with rank and the honor and the respect uh, that is shown and the obedience that is given through those different levels of rank. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, in the Amplified, here's how it states it. Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, be subject to the elders, the ministers, and spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel. Clothe or apron yourselves, all of you, with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. In case we didn't know what the proud was, they, he made sure he gave us several. And he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them, but gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. Amen. 
Here's the thing. A spiritual leader may counsel without being overbearing. How? Because we do a lot of our counseling by modeling. Proper ethics. Proper Christianhood in our own lives. And then for the lesser rank, and I do not, again, say that by no means in a negative way, but as the Amplified said it, to the lesser rank, to yield to the counsel of a spiritual leader then is to mean this, to follow their example. But the question we've got to ask ourselves, are we providing the example worth following? Amen. I remember the day, Bishop, that a pastor or, or, or bishop or whoever, you know what he would say for, for a, a, a line of standard for his church? He says, you just dress like my wife dress. I'm serious. Sister Jessup, is that not true? He says, you just follow the way that they does and you'll be all right. You know what he was saying? They're modeling the path before you, or at least should be. And so you don't have to worry about you being misled if you were to follow the leadership of what is supposed to be the leadership. Amen. <laughs> and so whenever he's coming here, younger, submit yourselves into the elder. The way that the younger can submit themselves to the elder is by following the elder's example. Again, can they follow our example? Will following our example have them in obedience then to the word? Just posing it. Can they pattern their life after your life and be in alignment with the word? Now, that's a heavy burden to bear, isn't it? Because we're going to mess up from time to time. But by and large, the overarching scope, the overarching scope, can they, by lifestyle, regular pattern of behavior, follow you and make it to heaven? Paul said, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. He wasn't saying that arrogantly. No, wasn't at all. By no means had Paul be saying that arrogantly. But he knew that if someone was absolutely following the Lord, then somebody else could possibly follow in their footsteps. That's the reason why in the Song of the Solomon, whenever the Shunammite wanted to find her beloved and her lover, Amen. And she was asking a man, she says, where does my beloved, where does he feed his flock? Where will they be to eat? And you know what the man said to her? He says, if you will follow the footsteps of the flock, you'll find your beloved. You know what he's saying? Because they're following him. And he says, I didn't, he didn't tell her, go follow the footsteps of him. He says, if you can pick up on just the footsteps of the flock, because his sheep know his voice, and a stranger they will not follow. He says, and I'm just telling you, follow the footsteps of the flock, and the footsteps of the flock will lead to him. In spiritual leadership, those that are under our tutelage should be able to follow our footsteps that lead to him. Amen? So he says, to follow the counsel then of another, in essence, to follow their counsel, to submit to that, is to follow their example. And in all of this, 
both the spiritual leader to the one they are leading and vice versa. Humility, of course, is important. Why? Because the Bible says in various areas, but also here, that God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. And grace always flows in the direction of least resistance. Grace always flows in the direction of least resistance. And so where he finds humility, guess what? He finds least resistance. And his grace can flow to there. He even tells us a little bit later about casting our cares upon the Lord. Well, you know what? God, God cares. I know you may not really understand this, but God cares about what you care about. Because he cares for you. So believers humble themselves. Here's one way that we humble ourselves. By taking our care and casting it upon the Lord. By taking, and we'll throw this in there, by taking our worries, our anxieties, and casting them upon the Lord. The English Standard Version Study Bible, I had said this, quite uh, convicting and also at the same time enlightening, speaking about casting our cares, or our worries, our anxieties on the Lord, Worry, it said, is a form of pride because it involves taking concerns upon oneself instead of entrusting them to God. How many times have we wrung our hands? What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about Wow. Yeah. The reason why it's in my notes is because it, man, it hit me hard. Worry is a form of pride. What am I going to do about this? How's this going to get done? How's it? You know what? We're, we're showing pride because we're not having faith just to entrust it. And God knows where I, what I'm dealing with. He knows when this needs to happen or how this is going to take. You understand? Job said it like this. said, allowing themselves to be humbled in their present situation, which happened to be the suffering, right? By adhering to their faith in Christ. They will certainly be exalted when he appears and the whole world sees its fall in rejecting his gospel. Amen. So we humble ourselves in our present situation by staying true to our faith in Christ. It's kind of like we said a few weeks ago that we entrust our souls to him by continuing to do well. We entrust our souls to him by continuing to be faithful to him. And so when we look at this in due time, God will exalt us. But here's the thing. It's God's job to do the exalting. It's our job to do the humbling. Huh? Amen? And here's the fact. I've witnessed it in my life. If you choose to take God's job, he'll take yours. In other words, <laughs> if, if you choose to do God's exaltation part, he'll become the humbler in your life. That's true. He will do it. He'll take our job. And so in a sense, Peter is saying this. Look at this. Peter is saying, so if you humble yourself before the Lord, if you bow down to the Lord, if, if you come into his presence with the right motive and the right attitude, if you bow down before the Lord, you get in verse number 9 then, where it's talking about the lion that's roaring, that's coming and seeking, and he says, whom resists stand steadfast in the faith. In other words, if you'll humble yourself to God, you'll be able to stand up to the devil. Amen. You humble yourself to God, you'll be able to stand up to the devil. And so Peter is relaying to us that we need to give God your care, give God your worry, give God your anxieties. Hmm? 
Because care, worry, and anxiety, you know what it does sometimes? It, it, it distracts us from the threat of the lion. Distracts us from the threat of the lion. Not only that, stress, anxiety, worry, cares, all those, not only do they distract us from the threat of the lion, but they threaten, they threaten the effectiveness of the Word of God. I've got word for it in your life. The sower of the seed in the grounds, the four different grounds, the Bible says in Mark 4, 19, it'll be here for you on the screen, and the cares of this world, remember the sowed went out in the seer, it was good ground, that which was by the wayside, the thorny ground, the stony ground, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Amen. We need to cast those cares, those worries, those anxieties, those stresses upon the Lord. Not be prideful as though, what do I need to do about this? Because if we'll cast them on the Lord, it's going to be all right. He'll exalt us in due season. But if we retain them, they may not only distract us from Satan, amen, sneaking around, if you will, but it will also hurt the effectiveness of the Word of God that we do receive. He'll choke it out. And so here again, he tells us that he's been saying this over and over. Be sober. Be sober. What? Don't be intoxicated. We can go back to Mark 4 there again. Deceitfulness of riches. Huh? Lust of other things. Remember, they're trying to live their life for God. Don't get intoxicated with the things of the world that you came from. Be sober. Don't be intoxicated. Be vigilant. Why? Peter tells us why. There is an adversary. You have an adversary. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you have an adversary. It's the devil. As a roaring lion, he is walking about seeking who he may devour, who he may consume. And if you're so caught up worry and being prideful about how am I going to do this he could come in on your backside and statue you have an adversary you you the devil the word devil plainly means accuser and slanderer that's what we've been talking about in first Peter the suffering that they were suffering from was word of mouth Slandering. The Bible calls the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. He would accuse them night and day, the Bible says. In Job, he was accusing Job. He stood at the, at the grave, was it, of Joseph. One of those that was speaking of, not Joseph, of, 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 of the son of Jacob, but a Joseph. And he was accusing there. He is the accuser. He is the slanderer. And he is roaring. Now, I guarantee any of us in the woods that would hear the belly cry roar of a lion. Gonna just be a teeny bit worried. Now you might have seen the lion roar at the zoo with a great golf fix between you and it and a ditch so big it could hold the ark. And fences so high it was like the Tower of Babel. But the people that Peter was talking to, honey, they understood that because they at different times would gather in the Roman Colosseum when they would put a man in the arena with a living lion. 
and they had seen a man torn limb by limb with the blood of that man dripping on the lion's mouth and had heard the roar. So this isn't just a zoology thing for them. This is something that they had experienced. This was an analogy that they could identify with, that the devil is as a lion. They seen what a literal lion could do in an arena, and they knew in the spiritual realm what the devil could do to them if they were not sober, if they were not vigilant concerning the things around about them. But after Peter says all that, that's whenever he comes forth, he says, be sober, be vigilant. He says, resist. Resist who? Resist your adversary. How? By remaining sure or steadfast in the faith. I like it. I like it. I like it. Brother McGee, oh, the devil's real. Oh, he, he's real fighting. What do I need to do? All right, I need to pray more. I'm going to have to fast five more, five more days this week. I'm, no, let me tell you what you need to do. Find you a sure place in your faith, a sure place in God, and live your life like that every day. And if you do that every day, that within itself is a resistance to your adversary. That... Oh, so many times we want to pull the rabbit out of the hat when the enemy comes. Honey, if we would just find a good concrete place in God and be consistent with it, that would be our resistance all within itself. We wouldn't have to add prayer because we're praying already. We wouldn't have to add fasting because we're fasting already. We wouldn't have to add a few more services because we're going to church consistently already. We're just steadfast in the faith, and that's a resistance. Amen. wrap this thing up let's put first peter to bed you'll stand with me i'll do it peter says once you get on the back side of all this in his closure he says in the grand scheme of things your suffering will have been just a while just a little while and he says you know what will have happened to you after your suffering Four things. He says you'll be made perfect, which means complete. You'll be made complete. You will have been established. You will have been strengthened, and you will be settled. But that's on the backside. Everybody say the backside. That's on the backside of your suffering. Why? Because it's amazing. God uses suffering to complete us. God uses suffering. It goes again. God's, his ways just don't, they don't add up right in our head. He uses suffering to strengthen us, to establish us, to settle us. It's a tool of God. And to God be the glory. I close with these words, the Masons, whoever may come. The closing words are the last few verses. Verse 12 through 14, I won't leave them out. They're there. They cover all bases. I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorted and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elect together with you, salute you, and so doth Marcus, my son, or Mark, also known as John Mark. Greet you one another with a kiss of charity. That's the greeting of that culture and time. For us, it'd be a handshake. All right? We had one time my Uncle Chick took that literally. He started coming around kissing guys on the cheeks when we came into church. But I'm talking about for culture and time, folks. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Sylvanus either did one or two things. Either had the letter dictated to him by Peter and wrote it or he was the deliverer of it. 
from what can I can study and read and even people that are smarter than I by sure concerning the Greek language lend to think that Sylvanus wasn't one that wrote it as it was dictated to Peter Peter did write it it's just that he delivered that you see that in various other places that person is spoken of as having having somehow relayed it or carried it uh, by virtue of delivering it to the different cities and people that it needed to go to Sylvanus is the Silas that we read through the scriptures the Silas that we read even in the book of Acts amen that he delivered that and he states plainly Peter states plainly he says this is the true grace of God wherein you stand he spent all this time and he comes to us he said this is the true grace of God wherein you stand what are you saying Peter it's almost as though Peter is saying the grace of God wherein you stand is the suffering that I've been writing to you about what you're saying this suffering is God's grace it's just like Paul that asked three times for the thorn to be removed from his flesh and each time it was known he said my grace because Paul had had taken up into the third heaven had seen things and could, there were things wasn't even lawful for him to utter God gave him a thorn in the flesh the Bible says a message of Satan to buffet him that's the Lord three times said no but God says my grace you know what I often like he's saying that thorn is my grace that keeps you humble that's my grace that suffering is my grace Peter here at the end of his chapter talking about everything you're going to all that slander and that accusation you're coming through on your life you know what he's saying he's saying that's my grace that's my grace wherein you stand. He said, that's helping you. Why? Oh, because it's making you complete. Huh? It's settling you, right? It's doing all these different measures unto you. And just for a point of order, please note that in verse number, in verse number 11, Peter said, amen. And then in verse 14, he said, amen. He just couldn't, he just couldn't quit. He just kept on going. He said, amen. He said, he couldn't quit. So see. Amen and amen. He says, peace be unto you all. What a great way to end a chapter. Peace be to you all. Y'all suffering. Y'all have mouths that are lashing upon you. And all this is being said. Peace be to you all. And I don't have time. And we wouldn't get into it very deeply. But when he says the church at Babylon also salutes you. Referring like to the old Babylon, whenever the people were in exile and they were dispersed there, he wanted them to have something that they could identify with because they are the dispersed. They are the scattered among all these different cities. In other words, he's saying just as there were them in that day and hour that were hanging their harps on the willows and there was a there was a nucleus of people that were in Babylon as exiles and you are now dispersed and scattered in your land. He says they just want you to know from the Old Testament to the New Testament we've both been there and we're going to get through this thing and we're capable to do it in Jesus name we bow our heads all across this place tonight our, our focus tonight was was, was to, 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 to lead by example because Peter wanted us to lead by example particularly during these times of suffering because people are in a great flux a great flux concerning the relationship with God 
And I don't care if they've been saved for three years or 30 years. There are times along the way that people are given to doubts, that people are given to the things in their mind thinking, is it worth it? Should, should I continue on? And there is great flux. And so we need spiritual leadership that while we're trying to lick our own wounds just to try to also help the flock of God, amen, to be there, not because we're forced to be there, but because we want to be there and we do it as a service unto the Lord, amen, to do it not because we're getting something out of it, but because we're doing it unto the Lord's flock, the service of the Lord, amen, and just to walk, 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 be an example or an example, amen, to men today. Peter says, spiritual leaders, that's what I need spiritual leaders that's what I need and those that are following them amen follow their modeled path follow their example let there be that subjection and that submission let there be that submission and service and that subjection if you will in obedience hallelujah we'll get through this time of suffering hallelujah can we raise our hands all across this place tonight amen brother Mason if you have song right now let's just raise our hands tonight thank you for listening If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.